So we've got something a little bit different. It's still accounting for the now. I'm going to interview an accountant, but his background's in entertainment. So he first came into the space, started running events and started accumulating it over time in an industry where people said you couldn't make money, and he did exactly that. But he still had a bit of gusto left in him, and he thought he could have one last crack at another business, and he thought, obviously, with my uh, partner as an accountant, let's combine forces and make that happen. So this is Jeffrey Hughes from Hughes Accounting. And he's been growing his practice through the power of networking and social media. So it's from an old episode from the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom, but all the concepts are still relevant. And it's a different podcast that I have. So if you haven't checked it out, you should check it out now. Without further ado, let's kick it off. Ryan J. Melson and Greg Mole from One Plan for Retirement would like to welcome you to the NZ Guide to Financial Freedom. In this podcast, we'll break down the psychological tools and financial framework you need to live the life you want to ensure you don't run out of money before you run out of life. Or is it one, two, choo, choo? No, one, choo. One chew. One chew. One chew. Isn't right. that what the sound text is? <laughs> well, it is now. Um, cool. Well, hello, everyone. We've got a, a bit of a change now. I've got someone new. It goes by the name of Jeffrey Hughes. And uh, you've got quite an illustrious background in a diverse range of businesses. But how are you going today, anyways? Very good. It's been a bit chilly today, but... Uh, oh, tell me about it. But hopefully everybody's sitting at home with the heater on, so they'll be right. Just to give a bit of context about your background and sort of how you came to work in the industry that you did. I know a bit about your background in terms of running an entertainment business, but yeah, I'm sure the listeners would love to hear it. Right, yeah. Um, been in the entertainment industry most of my life, um, generally self-employed, but uh, work started to become a bit hard to come by, so rather than sit back and say, okay, work's hard to come by, isn't life tough, I thought, what? Well, Nothing owes you a living, so started a company and created my own work, um, and that worked well. We went from a startup to a national touring company um, within about six years, and on our 10th anniversary, got a, a letter of uh, congratulations from the Prime Minister and the Arts Minister, which was nice. I saw that on the website. I was, was going to ask you yeah. about that, actually. How do you get that, or what's what's the criteria, or... Were they just sending out letters to everyone, or what happened? Oh, of course not. <laughs> Only the best. <laughs> no, we were doing a big 10th anniversary concert, and of course we invited the Prime Minister to, to speak, mm. who turned us down. Oh, okay. So we asked the Arts Minister to speak, who turned us down. Oh. Um, but they both sent us letters, which was nice, and uh, because I gave them the opportunity to send letters and they would be read out at the concert. Oh, wow. So... Uh, no politician's going to miss out on a chance to have their name spoken. True. Oh, yeah. Auntie Jacinda, this is consider this an invite. Uh, the letter you'll send it to is 198 Federal Street. Uh, but no, sorry, carry on. Tell us more about this. Well, so. if this is a podcast, you might not be Prime Minister then, so now you've, yeah. now you've put your foot in it. Well, that's, yeah, true. Yeah. Not live. <laughs> but uh, yeah, tell us about that um, entertainment. So work wasn't uh, coming, it was a bit hard to come by, so instead of feeling sorry for yourself, you went out and started something. That's right. Um, 
basically, uh, we looked around for a niche that wasn't being exploited and found a niche in the um, daytime concert series area. Um, a lot of the retired population uh, wanting to go out, but all the concerts in the evening and when it's, they don't want to drive, hard to park, mm. cold. So we started doing concerts during the day um, at theatres and mm. people would bus in and it worked very well. So just a, an example of uh, finding a niche, being first in the niche and, and pushing that niche. I heard of my flatmate was talking about raves at seven in the morning. And I was thinking, what, like, do you not go to sleep? Or who the wake, who wakes up for a rave at that time? And it was yeah. a silent disco. Right. So you could party, but no one would know. Okay. Um, but daytime concerts. So what sort of demographics would come? Was it the people older, 65, and they were going crazy? And basically, what was happening? Basically, any, anybody retired. Um, so uh, 55 up, generally. Wow. Did you have to cater differently than what you used to in the other events? Or is it the same sort of... Style of music and the date of the music. Um, okay. We had we had to. I mean, they're not gonna. Well, the the um, your target market does age, but um, we certainly wouldn't have been doing um, Thin Lizzy or Led Zepp music. But possibly in the next few years, as the as the as the demographic moves and the audience moves with it. Um, we would have had to have been doing Led Zepp and Thin Lizzy, but uh, but no, generally um, targeting the the music to suit the audience. Smart. I was going to say, um, the mosh pit of retirees would look quite fascinating with the walkers and Raven. But so, okay, you found the niche. Instead of feeling sorry for yourself, you made something happen. So you're doing these day concerts for quite a while. Is there some another industry you followed after that before you came into where you are now, or? No, at the um, did that for from startup. I sold out of it after twelve years, mm. um, thinking I had one more business left in me. So um, sold out of that. Went on for um, new experiences. Um, my wife's an accountant, mm. and so I said, "Okay, let's start an accounting firm." Wow! And th- and that was it. Were you nervous? Because obviously it's not necessarily... You've got background in business and strategy, but was that quite a daunting task to go into a different field like that or exciting or how did you frame it in your mind? Uh, not at all. Business is business. Um, there's only one rule to business, sell for more than you buy for. Um, that's it. That's business. <laughs> um, Richard Branson was interviewed and um, they said, how do you find it? You know, you own a gym, you own an airline, you own a bank. Mm. Um, do you find that hard? And he said, no, the principles are the same. Yeah, right. Um, no matter what the business is, you've got to find your, your market and you've got to sell it to your market. That's it. Good point. I mean, I mean, we've, we've had a, a coffee before and I've met you at a few networking events and you always add value. And there was actually, in terms of principles or core things you should understand in accounting and business in general, you called it the holy trinity. I asked my dad, he's an accountant, he knew the answers, but he'd never heard of Holy Trinity. So yeah. it was quite an interesting uh, thing to discuss. So what's the Holy Trinity of accounting and business? Um, I call it the Holy Trinity because it's it's the three things that every business needs to think about. Um, most people start a business because they have an idea or they'll think it'll go well. But um, 
the holy trinity is is the business plan, the cash flow forecast, and the management accounts. And if you operate those three um, all all as one sort of cohesive uh, practice, then you'll find it'll work well. Mm. Um, the um, the the business plan tells you where you want your business to go, when you want to get there, and how you're going to get there. It's basically a roadmap for your business. Okay, I'm starting this business. Um, I want to be in it for, let's say, 15 years. And at the end of that, I want to sell it for a lot of money. Um, that's giving you your, your, your destination. Okay. And then in your business plan, you look, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get to that destination? Um, you do the SWOT analysis, you know, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, all, all of that. You go through, you have a look at your marketing. Who's your, who's your target market? Who's your, your avatar client? You know, is it, is it women between 45 and 55? Or is it, um, teenagers? Or is it men between, uh, 15 to 25? Um, because you have to, you have to find your marketing avatar. Who 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 is your main client? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have to be where that client hangs out, either physically or digitally. Mm. So if your client is, um, let's say, a, a lady who's into arts and crafts, um, then you need to have some advertising material at arts and crafts events mm-hmm. um arts and crafts websites you've got to have a banner pay for a banner um maybe approach arts and crafts organizations and try and purchase their mailing list or if they'll allow you to send something out to their mailing list this is all defined in your business plan yeah so your business plan is i want to be here by the state and here is how i'm going to do it uh, okay and who are my competitors? What are they doing wrong? What are they doing right? Um, what's my point of difference for those competitors going to be? All of this is contained in your business plan, which is a roadmap from where you are now to where you want to be when you want to exit that business. Okay, it makes a lot of sense. And it's quite a quite a common thing, at least I see at these networking events and different business owners, is that they they sort of start and then try to work it out. And their exit strategy, they often leave it too late. Um, so I like that, that you're actually creating a destination before you even start, in a sense, when you create a business plan. Yeah. P- part of your business planning at the beginning is your exit strategy. Um, you mm-hmm. don't have to put things in place for that, but you need to know when when it's going to happen, when you want it to happen. Um, things may change and you might want to get out of there sooner mm. or come that time you think, okay, well, I'll just sit back and actually let the business keep running and I'll pull back and just be a consultant to the business and keep the income coming in. Okay. But it needs to be part of the decision-making process. For sure. So it's, it's sort of like a pie in the sky in a sense. You've got this goal that you're working towards, but it is a can change and adjust to the times. Mm. One, of the, one of the skill sets I see from talking to you often is there's one obviously in the business strategy side of things, but I also think you're very good at the networking uh, aspect and marketing side of, of running a business. And I think that was the transferable side of things for you. Right. Yeah. So 
just starting with that avatar, if someone was to sit down with you to create a business plan and they want to work out what their avatar is and then how to target them, do you have a process that you go through with them? Is it a combination of who they relate to, also who has the need, also who's not being serviced in the right way? Or how do you go about finding an avatar for your business? Um, it depends. Firstly, the question is what what product or service are, they, are you providing? Mm-hmm. Um, and you decide, okay, this is what I'm providing. The next question you need to ask yourself is, for this product or service, what problem am I solving? Because people don't care what you do. Mm. People don't care that here are my, here's a list of my services, here's what I do, here's my team. They say, oh, that's great for you, have a nice life. Mm. <laughs> um, you haven't got buy-in until you solve a problem that they have. Mm-hmm. So you've got your business idea, you've got your product or service. You think, okay, what problem does this product or service solve? Okay, it solves this. Okay, then who has this, pro- who has this problem? Whoever has that problem mm. is your avatar, mm. is who you're selling to. Um, for example, as it stands at the moment, if I'm selling as you brought up so nicely, walkers <laughs> for the old people. Yeah, okay, walkers, now, yeah. I sell walkers. I wouldn't try and sell you a walker. Mm. You don't want one. No. You might end up with one, but you don't want one <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. So you don't have that problem. So because you don't have that problem, I can't solve that problem for you. So therefore, you will never be my client for walk- walkers at the moment. For sure. Mm. Therefore, I shouldn't market to you. Um, whereas if I've got contacts in rest homes, okay, there's my target market. Place full of my marketing avatars. I should be approaching or dealing with the rest homes because I'm solving a problem that their residents have. Um, so the question to sit back and ask yourself is what problem am I solving and who has that problem? Now I should start marketing to them. Mm. Makes sense. Greg uses the analogy um, in his old firm, uh, New Zealand Financial Planning. Uh, they had a competition. I think it was the millennial $10 note. There was a unique $10 note that was brought out and their job was to try and collect as many of those as possible. So the $10 note's your avatar where you're going to find a high majority of them. So a lot of his, um, a lot of the other directors or partners, they, they went out there and just tried to talk to people and put their name in cafes and stuff. Greg went to the banks and to the service stations and just built rapport with them. So instead of actually having to go out there and consistently hunt, he built rapport with people that come across the $10 loads a lot. Mm. Um, and that's, that's a big part from what I can see from a marketing standpoint. And also in selling, they talk about and Wolf of Wall Street, I think you should be able to learn from the good and bad people in the world. And they, they talk about selling this pen, sell me this pen. And the whole premise is you can't sell something to someone that doesn't need it. So mm. a lot of sales, when they spend this time talking to someone, they haven't qualified them. They're wasting that person's time and theirs. And I, I, think, you, I think you balance that quite well between service and respecting each other's time. Is it is it quite a tricky thing for you to navigate at times in terms of because most people um, don't want to offend or they're um, a bit too agreeable 
but that's coming at the detriment of their business. Is there a way, was it hard for you initially to be able to balance business and um, them seeing you as a good person or, you know, you know what I'm saying? I didn't ask that the best way, but hopefully you can pull it together. I, I, I'm, I'm getting you just. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> but basic, basically, um, as long as you solve a problem that they've got and you solve it with integrity and with them in mind, mm. people don't mind being sold to because you're providing a solution. True, true. And you have to provide a solution that they trust. And if they trust you, they'll trust the solution. And then it's not a hard sell, and they don't mind being sold to. Mm. So the the point is, don't push. Um, I do a bit of business mentoring, and when and I often get asked by business owners, "Look, I'm not a natural salesman. I don't know how to sell." And I say, "Well, don't sell. Mm. I mean, not everybody's a Tony Roberts." <laughs> And, and and you can come out and, and try and do those big sales pitches, and it's not you, mm. and it'll come across as fake. Yeah. And the moment you come across as fake, nobody's going to buy from you. For nobody's sure. going to try. So what I sell, say to my business owners is sell your passion for what you do. And if you sell your passion, uh, the, the sales will come because they can see the truth behind mm. what you're doing. Sure. Um, so... For example, with you, your passion is is helping people be financially secure for their lives. Yeah, it's cool. Um, you're not saying, hey, come to me, you're going to make a whole lot of interest. It's going to happen really quickly <laughs> no. and things are going to be great. Yeah. Um, people won't believe that, won't buy it, but you say, hey, let's take a long-term view. Let's take a long-term journey. Um, and I'm passionate about helping you because... And they can see that. That's you. So mm. um, it's not hard to sell if you believe in what you're selling and you're comfortable in what you're selling and you're sure in what you sell. For sure. Um, and that'll come across. Mm. Um, and basically people will buy on that trust. Yeah, I agree. There's um, there's a talk I did. I, it was called The Art of Not Selling because – the challenging thing, even though I'm passionate about the financial freedom and helping people in the long term, they're not that passionate about coming to listen to someone talk about it unless they have that problem at that exact moment. So I thought, how can I add value to business owners? So I had the background in selling. Mm. And the art of not selling is to throw away the script in a sense. So sure, you want to keep practicing and understanding every aspect of your product, every aspect of your competitor's product, what your client's going to say, how he support that. But that's where a lot of people go wrong is where they're, they're scripting it. And the consumer is getting a lot more intelligent. Not to say that the consumer wasn't as intelligent before, but their their bullshit radar is a bit more mm. acute because they're getting this constant feedback from social media. So this person promises this. This is what the comments are saying. So they're getting this, this loop mm. of reinforcement of seeing when someone's genuine and disgenuine. So sure, you might have the best script in the world, but just like a good joke, if it's badly timed, it's a bad joke. Yep. So it's about tailoring it to them, having a genuine passion in what you do, and then helping facilitate that change with them and solving that problem. But <laughs> there was two more of the Holy Trinity. So there right. was another one, um, management accounts. You did that at one of our events, yep. and you didn't quite have the opportunity to share the full picture of what incorporates <laughs> a management account because uh, we had uh, some audience contributing. So what would be the key components or what is a management account as well? 
Um, management accounts are accounts done for the business owner. So, um, as I said on that at that event, business owners say, "Look, I get my annual tax returns done. That's all I need. That's what my accountant does." They get sent off, then I put them in the bottom drawer of my desk and I worry about it next year. Mm. Um, management accounts, those tax returns are done for the Inland Revenue Department. They're not done for the business owner. The Inland Revenue Department specifies what must be in them and accountants have to follow that and supply that information to the Inland Revenue. And all the Inland Revenue care about is how much money did you make and did you pay enough tax on that money? That's all Inland Revenue is interested in, and that's all that's covered in your annual tax return. Hmm. So um, management accounts are done not for the Inland Revenue. They're done for the business owner. Um, I liken it a bit like a warrant of fitness. Um, a warrant of fitness for your car is done for Transit New Zealand, hmm. and they care that you fit the rules and your car is safe. Yeah, They don't care whether your car needs a tune-up. No. They don't care if your car's about to blow up or they can see that your water pump's about to give out. They don't care. They want to make sure you're safe on the road. Mm. So management accounts are like going into the engine of the car and seeing how it's running. Mm. Um, so what you would do with your management accounts, you'd do them quarterly, every couple of months, every six months, or even yearly, dependent on what your need is. And they are prepared solely for the business owner to gauge and see how their business is performing. Mm -hmm. So the main complaint about accounts and accounting is it's historic. Mm. Um, sure, I've got my tax return. It's already a year out of date. Yeah. That, that Those sales were last year's sales. Mm -hmm. um, so what management accounts do is they, because it's historic, they use the historic data to show trends. And trends is very important to a business because trends continue. Mm. Or they you can see a trend away. So if your market's slowly changing, mm -hmm. um, you're selling into a market that's aging, or you're selling into a market that technology is having a big impact on, um, or you're selling into a market that is slowly not purchasing anymore for any number of reasons, you can see a trend in your accounts to that. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to be able to react to that trend, but you need to know that there's a trend happening. Yeah. Um, most business owners will say, my sales are down. They've been going down for the last six months, six, last eight months. Do you know why they're going down? Mm-hmm. Um, and what products are not selling? What products or what services are not selling? Yes, your income as a business may be down, but it may be only down on product A. Yeah. Whereas product B is actually increasing in sales, but product A is what you've been relying on to run the business. So product A is not selling as much. Product B is now propping it up. Mm. So your management accounts can show this and you think, okay, product B, now I need to change my focus from product A to product B, um, and start pushing product B more. All of a sudden, your business is starting to pick up again. Mm -hmm. um, so um, management accounts, the first time you do them, are of limited value. 
They are of value, but limited value. The second time you do them, and the third time and onwards, they become quite valuable. First time you do management accounts, we look at the results. Mm -hmm. Then we go into your accounts and we change things in your accounts. Um, We change your cost centers. We change your monitoring in things like Xero and MYOB. We pop in um, some tracking codes onto certain items so costs are allocated automatically when you click yes that reconciles all right um and then so that by the time you have your second management accounts you've tweaked your management accounts from the first time you've got more information about what you want and then every time you do management accounts you tweak things a little bit to say okay i want to have more information about product b that's picking up Mm. why is that picking up okay so let's Let's um, tweak your account so it shows what's coming through Google, what's coming through Facebook, what's coming through print, what's coming through radio advertising. Okay, B's coming, picking up because Facebook users are buying a lot of product B. Mm. Okay, so why are they buying product B? My avatar's changing. Why is my avatar changing? I need to change my business focus for that avatar. It's good, yeah. I can I can see the immense value of that because a lot of people just in general they they have certain biases they they're not aware. I mean, the the brain wants you to do what's uh, efficient, not what's right necessarily. So it tries to save energy and find the most effective pathway to get somewhere, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily based on the situation. It's historic, like the accounting that you mentioned, because it's learnt this is an effective way to survive. The landscapes changed, so it's still holding the the beliefs that got them to where they are, mm. but they get a bit too rigid in that belief and then don't see the wood for the trees. So I guess the numbers don't lie. Is there certain, obviously it evolves and you adjust it, is there certain key things that should be in nearly every management account or is it completely different for every business? Or It's different from every business. As we said at the beginning, the basics of business are the same. You have to sell for more than you buy. Yeah. Um, so management accounts need to keep an eye on that. Um, for example, costs go up. Um, are you putting your costs up to mm. match your costs? Or supplier B, suddenly his costs have gone up, which is making product A, which used most of his supplies. Um, it, your return on investment is starting to fall there. Mm-hmm. So should we revalue product A or should we change the supplier on product A? Mm. Or is there an alternative source for whatever's being used in product A? These are highlighted in management accounts, and these are what owners need to react to um, rather than just going, oh, God, the costs have gone up. I need to put our costs up. Well, the costs have gone up because this supplier is increasing more. Mm. Do we need to look at changing that? True. Yeah, I, I could definitely see the benefit of that, having um, something that doesn't lie. It's just the numbers are what the numbers are. Do you, do you see, in terms of from seeing business owners quite a lot, some do well, some don't, do you see consistent trends on the ones that do well and the ones that don't, certain principles in business that should be incorporated or you should be mindful of? A- absolutely. Um, the, bi- the, the, the businesses that do well are agile businesses. Okay. Um, they're businesses who don't sit back. Um, they're constantly looking. They're constantly running management reports because they're wanting to check that what they think is correct. Um, 
what you think is not always correct. <laughs> yeah. um, emotionally, as you said, business owners get attached to a certain part of their business. Sure. Um, emotionally, they're thinking, this is where I want my business to go. This is what I want my business to do. And they tend to be the business owners that don't do quite so well because they're not reacting to their market. Mm. Their market, the problem that they're solving was yesterday's problem. Yeah. And they want to stay with yesterday's problem. The market's changed. That problem is no longer such a big problem for that market. So their business is starting to suffer now because they're not reacting. The businesses that do well, the agile business owners, mm -hmm. are looking and saying, okay, the problem I'm solving is not quite so relevant now. So how do I adapt my business? So what is the problem that my market is now facing? And how do I adapt my business to solve that problem? Mm. And how do I tell that market I now solve that problem? And so agile businesses are looking at their market. They're keeping an eye on their market. They're keeping an eye on the problems that their market has. Mm -hmm. And they're adapting those their business to suit those problems. Okay. Uh, take a look at Kodak. Yeah. Kodak solved the problem of people wanting to capture memories. Mm hmm Photographs, fantastic, worked really well, multinational company, digital cameras came in. Mm. The problem that people had was not the same problem that they had 20 years ago. Um, Kodak didn't react to that. They thought everybody will always be wanting cameras, everybody will be always wanting to print photographs. That's not the case. Digital cameras have come in, cameras have come in on phones, people now have... Um, frames on the wall that have got a USB attached to them and the photos rotate. Mm. Kodak needed to do that. Mm. Kodak didn't do that. And where are they today? Yeah, nowhere. Um, so they were a business that didn't believe in where their, their, their client base was going and they didn't react to it. Mm. Is there like a, in terms of, so people have become aware through listening to this podcast they need to create an agile business. Is there habits that they could consistently take? Because most small business owners are just trying to put out the fires in front of their face. It's quite hard to think separately and how to adjust to it. Is there habits that they should have outside of management accounts? Maybe every two weeks they take a break from the business and assess it or they go see someone and talk about it hmm. or um, they, they create a culture that's comfortable with change as opposed to one that's comfortable with staying the same? Absolutely. I mean, um, you're very tr right in the fact that a lot of small business owners are there trying to survive hmm. and all their time <coughs> and effort is put into trying to survive. Um, I, I liken it, let let. Let's say you're a coal miner. Mm -hmm. You own a coal mine. You're down the coal mine every day, chipping away at the coal. Mm -hmm. um, and you look around and what do you see? You see blackness and coal and the coal being sent back to the factory ready to be sold. Mm -hmm. That's great. You're there. You're making your bucks. You're at the coal face. You're doing what you like to do. They need to step out of that occasionally and they need to go at the top of the mine, into the management office and have a look around. Mm. Um, they need to get off the coalface, step back um, and see, okay, 
I'm chipping away, I'm making lots of coal, and I'm sending that to the factory. Is the market for coal changing? Mm. Is there still a market for coal? Should I be looking at something else? Should I be adapting the use of coal to something else? You know, they have to step back. If you're not at the top of the coal mine occasionally having a look around, all you see is the coal in front of you. Yeah. So what I would say to the small business owner is occasionally step back, schedule in once a month to do a little bit of review. Once a month. So two-part two question on that. So one, now you're in the control tower and you're thinking um, and you're trying to do your market research. Is there a process of which to find that out? Do you go mystery shop at your competitors? Do you just look online for related industries? Do you look for data and statistics? Um, we'll just start with that fish, actually. Yeah. It's a big one. It, 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 it is a big one. Um, coming back to the problem-solving mm-hmm. question, um, what they need to do is step back and say, is the solution I'm providing still relevant? Mm-hmm. Um, and as you say, how do they find that out? They research. Mm-hmm. Um, look at your biggest competitor who's doing really well. What are they doing and who are they selling to? Is that the same market? Mm-hmm. Or are they doing better than you because they've moved their solution to a different part of the market? Um, so look at your competitors. Um, look at the demographics that you're, you're working in. Look at your markets. Mm. For example, um, if you're selling into, let's say, the retired population and you're selling into um, Hamilton, your main market's Hamilton, mm-hmm. uh, What's the demographic? Are people move when they retire from Hamilton? Do they move to Tauranga? Yeah. Okay. So, hold on. My main market is Hamilton. That's great. That that's my bread and butter. The future for my business is now in Tauranga. Mm. So, should I now start doing some focus towards Tauranga? Um, don't shift your whole business from Hamilton to Tauranga. No. The focus, but start planning for Tauranga. How am I going to start making sales in Tauranga? Let's start building my brand in Tauranga. I'm not selling there yet, but let's put some banner ads up on in Tauranga. Let's start telling them that I exist. Hmm. Um, and then when I'm starting to got a, a, a bit of spare cash, which we'll talk to shortly about cash flow forecasts, when I've got a bit of spare cash, I'll throw that at the Tauranga market. Hmm. Now I try and build that up so it's running parallel to Hamilton. Don't change your focus immediately because mm-hmm. that'll hurt your business. Slowly move. Sure. And so is your is your niche, your avatar market changing? Is that now going overseas? Is, okay, New Zealand's moved on from this, so my product or service is no longer relevant so much in New Zealand, however... They're still quite under-resourced in this area in the Philippines mm. or India, okay? So should I look at moving that? Let's have, a, let's have a chat to a couple of government departments about exporting and how I can do that. But in the meantime, I'll keep running my business as I am with an eye on moving it. Okay. So that makes sense. I, I, I sort of break it down to brand and transaction. So brand, I sort of think 10 years. So how can I create a brand that's pivotable to adapt with change? So that's why I went the personal brand aspect because 
I'm the product. The service I provide could change as the landscape changes, but mm-hmm. if I build trust and rapport and become known for that, that gives me movability. Mm-hmm. Um, and the transaction is obviously paying the rent, you know, making yep. sure you're bringing business in. Um, on that, let's look at KFC. Mm-hmm. Their market changed. Yeah. The people they sell to didn't change, but their market changed. Why did their market change? They used to be called Kentucky Fried Chicken. Mm. Now, these mad gym instructors started <laughs> running around saying, fried food is bad for you. Yeah. So KFC went, okay, my market's changing. They're reacting to the word fried. Yeah. So we'll rebrand to KFC. We won't change anything in our process. Yeah. So the food's going to be the same. Mm. But we'll rebrand our name because people are reacting to fried. So they spend a lot of money changing to KFC. All right, okay. They were Kentucky Fried Chicken. They're now KFC. Product hasn't changed. The marketplace, their avatar was reacting to a change in attitude, mm. which was fried. So we'll just change the name. Good call. So it seems that if you have a consistent process of understanding your avatar, doing market research, what's your competitor doing well? Um, that you're not, or is the landscape or solution changing? Even brand, you can you can still create the same service, but just make sure it's seen in people's eyes in a, a unique way that they want to receive. Hmm. So it's quite interesting. Um, what are the what are the principles? You talked about agility is important in an organization. Is there other aspects of either a business owner type that does well, or um, a framework of how a business is structured that does well? Um. A business owner needs to look at themselves and think, what do I like doing Mm -hmm. and what am I good at doing Mm. and what do I hate doing and what am I not so good at doing? And the things that they like doing and that they're good at doing, they need to do. Mm -hmm. The things that they hate doing and they're not so good at doing, they need to outsource. Mm. Um, uh, From an accounting firm point of view, we say, look, business owners spend a lot of time doing their GST, doing their payroll, Mm. doing their reconciliations. If they're good at that and they enjoy that and it makes them feel like they've got hands-on in their business, that's fantastic. They should keep doing it. So many people hate it. Mm. So outsource it. Your accountant has bookkeepers working there. Outsource all of that to the bookkeeper. You know, let's say I I talk to somebody and they say, look, I spend about three hours a week on my accounts. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's three hours a week that you're not happy and you don't enjoy and you're not very good at it. So why wouldn't you outsource that to a bookkeeper um, at your accountant's? There's three hours a week. What you can do with that three hours is up to you. Mm. But you should be spending that three hours on what you like and what you're good at and what only you can do. For example, um, sales Mm. and customer relations. Your accountant can't go out and do your sales and your customer relations for you, <laughs> um, but they can do your bookkeeping to give you that time to go and do those sales. And, for example, a, it should be um, at worst cost neutral or cost positive. So let's say it costs you three hours. Let's say it costs you $150, $200 to outsource that money, that, mm. that work, that bookkeeping. Now, those three hours... If you bring on two new clients, Mm. has that covered that cost? Um, If you 
your biggest client is feeling a little bit neglected, if in those three hours you pop out and you knock on their door and say, hey, I'd just like to have a chat and see how things are going and whether we're looking after you properly. And he's going, well, actually, mm. um, you've saved that client. Yeah. Um, and does that client bring in more than $150, $200 a week to your business? Possibly. Mm. Therefore, that outsourced cost is cost positive. Fair. That's... It's not costing you a cent. It's mm. actually making you money. So... Uh, but and I, and I'm not trying to sell accounting services. <laughs> it, it means the same for marketing. Yeah, some people are really good sitting in front of their clients and selling, but they're not great at marketing. For sure. So outsource your marketing. Find somebody who's good at it, and you trust, and get them to do it. Mm. Um, and um, office work and any anything like that 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 they could outsource. They should look at outsourcing. All right, you and Murray agree on that. So, yeah, Murray said the same thing in the last episode. It seems to be consistent as well. Um, Gary V, his whole mindset is hire people that are good at what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, within reason. I was going to ask you that because you get a bit of pushback from the odd business owner that isn't making a good living, and they're worried like if they outsource, then obviously that's not good for their business because it's another overhead for them. Um, but as you say, it was cost neutral. Co- Cash was it cost neutral and well, cost, cost neutral or or, or positive? Positive. Okay. You know you don't want it to be negative. Mm. You don't want it to be costing you money. And the trick is try it. Yeah. Set some set some goals and some KPIs so that you can measure it. Okay. You can even put this into your management accounts that we were talking about before. Mm. Okay. I've out this management account. Here are my results. For the next quarter, I'm going to outsource this and this, and it's mm-hmm. going to cost me this amount of money to outsource it. Your next set of management accounts, how are your sales and how's your revenue? Mm. Has it gone up? Is it covering the cost of that outsourcing? Answer yes, keep outsourcing. Yeah, okay, it's simple. Do, is yeah. there outsourcing that you do in the business that you're in currently? or um, We do. We outsource some of the marketing. Okay. Um, uh, Facebook. You know things like that. Okay. You need people who know algorithms and how they yeah. work, and and what Facebook's liking at the moment. Facebook's liking video. Yeah, um, they didn't like it before. Mm. Uh, they didn't like it before because the technology wasn't there, and video was big and clunky, and it slowed down and used a lot of data. Mm. Now the compression rates are so great; um, it's force pushing through, not using quite so much data. And so Facebook's going, this is the way to go. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and I was listening to an an investment podcast now talking about having different mind maps, and that's one of the things that um, Warren Buffett executes on is that it might not always be nice to have a conversation with someone with an opposing view and um, reaches a different conclusion than you, hmm. but sometimes it's a, a make-or-break moment for many people because it's very easy to get surrounded by yes-men telling you, oh, you're doing so great, um, and it's a lot more comfortable as an organization. Yep. But do you, do you try actively in the culture of the business have different personality types that have contracting views, or do you try and balance, how do you balance the culture if that's the case as well, where you, obviously your first reaction is, oh, they just told me I'm wrong, um, and then navigating through that? Yep. Um, well, firstly, 
I'm not a yes man. I say no when people want me to. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, there, there are certain ways. Ab- ab- absolutely, that there are lots of different views. Um, and I say to business owners, if they're going through a period of crisis, um, whilst they're going through crisis, they need to develop. They need to work in a mindset of task. So we're in a crisis. My task is for the business to survive to next week. Mm-hmm. So they need to just focus on what they need to do to make their business survive. Now, once they move out of that task focus, then they need to seek opinion mm. about how their business is going and why it nearly went under. And, um, for example, go back to Kodak. You know, they needed to be, okay, we need to survive. We need to work on why we survived. Now we need to get opinions on why did that nearly happen. Mm. And somebody saying, um, printing photographs is dead. Everybody's going digital. Now, the GM of Kodak will go, what a load of crap. (laughs) You know, that's not the case. I don't want to hear that. I've been doing this for the last 20 years. And for God's sake, it's going to keep going. Yeah. Whereas if they hear it, they've got to take it on board and they've got to analyze it and they've got to say, Firstly, don't listen to people. My biggest advice would be don't listen to people who you wouldn't go to normally for advice. Okay. Um, if I would normally go to you for advice on financial planning and you told me something, I'd listen to you. Yeah. If I'm having a barbecue and Fred from down the road comes up and says, hey, mate, you need to put your money here. Yeah. You know, <laughs> cryptocurrency is the future. This is the way to go. Put all your money here. Would I normally go to him for advice on financial planning? No. Good. good. Therefore, would I listen to him? Mm. No. Mm. So don't listen to people you wouldn't normally go to for advice. Interesting. Okay. Um, they 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 might be right, mm. but mostly they'll be wrong because yeah. you know who you'd go to advice. I'd go to you for financial planning advice. I wouldn't go to Fred down the road for financial planning advice. So why am I listening to him at the barbecue giving me financial planning advice? Yeah, finally, more people have that mindset. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's fascinating. Um, why why in certain points in your life you you you're open to such such advice? And um, I, I usually, if I'm trying to filter on whether someone if I'm justified in listening to them. Because sometimes people you wouldn't normally go to for advice might have a certain competency without actually the wisdom, but it was a valuable advice. So I usually look at um, evidence and motive. So evidence is obviously what supports their argument, why are they justified in being able to have that argument. Ideally, it's someone as an accountant with experience, um, that's the evidence. The motive is why are they giving me this advice? What's in it for them? Are they incentivized for me having a good life? Are they incentivized for me not having a good life so they feel better about themselves so they don't have to try themselves? Mm. So I sort of go through that similar to the police and evidence and motive because there's a lot of lip service and there's a lot of people telling you what you should do, but unless they're doing it or have uh, they're justified in that viewpoint, then yeah, I'm a bit like, mm, not sure if I'll listen because there's mm. going to be negativity. If you, if you get to a certain level of profile in life and you're doing well, there are people just want to bring you down for the sake of they're hurting inside and they want to, I say, an insult is an insecurity wrapped in blame. Hmm. Um, so is there certain challenges you had to deal with? Like, say, your friend group, they're probably, 
used to being employed, maybe your parents when you first started, or you shouldn't be going into entertainment. We've heard all these bad stories. Was there a moment where you took a leap of faith and people tried to bring you down? And if there was, how did you go about getting through that from a mindset perspective? Uh, interesting. Talking about the entertainment side, mm. um, my father worked for an insurance company all his life. Oh, He was from that that you get a job and it's a job for life and they'll look after you and you'll look after them and then you'll retire and you'll live off your retirement earnings and your savings. Um, and I said, okay, I'm going to go into the entertainment business. Mm. Um, and from him, that was the worst thing you could say. Um, so, yep, he tried to talk, talk me out of it, said, no, that's not for you. And then um, I was doing an event and I spoke to the conductor of the orchestra. And I said, look, tell me about life in the entertainment industry. And he said, it's going to be hard. There's going to be times when you're going to have no contracts and you're going to have no money. Um, but you're going to love every minute of it. And I thought, okay, um, I can go into this with my eyes open. Mm. Um, and he was very blunt, very clear about the life of a of an entertainer. Mm. Um, and it... It was hard and it was tough and there were times when I had absolutely no money and you're sitting uh, near the end of the year and you're looking and thinking, what are my contracts for next year? I have none. Mm. Um, but then you think, would I change it? No. Um, so after after doing that for many years and I'd had my fun, I'd enjoyed myself and it had run its course and I thought, okay, now's the time to change. And find a new path. Mm. It's good self-awareness. And just to make this a little bit easier on Jordan, our audio editor, we're, we're still running a business in the background. So there's there's a, there's a couple of people doing backflips and talking to each other. It sounds like that. But really, it's just a, it's just a prospect meeting, funnily enough. Shouldn't say that too loud. They like to be called an individual, not a prospect. But that's what's yeah. happening. Um, so, yeah, it seems that's a common trait. I mean, we call, I call it homeostasis in the book um, where... In a, 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 in a living system or in chemistry specifically, if you change something, it tries to seek equilibrium. So if suddenly you increase the pressure on, uh, on the chemicals, then they actually take up a smaller, smaller shape to adjust to that change and they maintain the status quo. But it's also quite interesting because that flows into the social aspect in humans is if a certain thing within the equilibrium changes – the reaction is equal to the level of change. So let's say you're a party animal, you went out every week with your friends and then suddenly you stopped. Drastically cold turkey, no more going out. Either they have to drastically change with you or they have to try and convert you back to the equilibrium. So even just by you existing and doing your life, shines a spotlight on who they are. Hmm. Um, so it's going to be a natural thing. It's not personal, it's not like, they're trying to bring you down because they don't want you to do well. It's just the fact that we've got to maintain the status quo. Yep. Like even right now, I'm posting on TikTok, every business owner looks like I'm crazy um, because, I mean, it's young people supposedly just dancing, but there's 1 billion people that are users. It has a diverse um, demographic and it's feeding all my other social channels. Mm. So sometimes you have to go out of the, the norm a little bit. Um, yep. And yeah, I mean, that... You can't be successful just being average, I suppose. No, there's two sayings that I like that relate to that. And there's one, if you hate being at 
If you hate being at the circus, stop hanging out with clowns. <laughs> um, and that's what a lot of business owners don't look at, you know. They're, mm. they're associating with this group of people who aren't doing well, mm. and that's that mindset. Which brings me to the other saying is, as you assemble, so you resemble. Mm. So whoever you hang out with frames your mindset. True. So if you're hanging out with people who are moaning about business, who are moaning how hard it is and how much they hate business, but they're in business, that's going to affect your mindset. We you say, okay, I'm going to step away from that mm. and I'm going to hang out with business owners who are successful, who are excited about business, who see the potential of business, then that's going to frame your mindset as well. Sure. So as they say, you know, um, whatever you think is what you'll be. Mm. True. That's, it's quite a tricky thing as well because let's say you, you, you grew up in a lower socioeconomic area, you have good friends. Those friends uh, sort of have low, low ambition just because it's hard for them p- to perceive uh, outside of what the reality is. Was it? Is there certain points where you kind of had to cut people from your life and realizing, hey, they're not actually serving my best interest, um, and how you actually navigate that conversation? Because I mean, you were friends, but you just realized that they're bringing you down. Do you just slowly phase them out, or you just keep them in your life, but just see them as little as possible? Or? I, yeah, I, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's quite as draconian as that. Okay, um, you. As your mind, as you start working on your mindset and you're wanting to associate with a different type of mindset, mm. I think they will slowly move away naturally um, because you're not fitting who they are and they're starting to not fit who you are or who you want to be. So I think they'll move hmm. by themselves. It'll be orga- an organic move rather than a, okay, we can't be friends anymore. Um, I'm blocking you on Facebook. I'm blocking you on Instagram. You know, rather than you'll be doing lots of positive posts on Instagram, and they'll just stop following you. Yeah, it's true. You know, yeah, it's true. You can you can imagine like uh, seeing a negative post every day as though it's their diary, and then eventually you're like, mm, I don't really see, want to follow that. Yeah. So all right, okay, just naturally phase out. Um, okay, well let let's say. A business owner has been listening to this whole podcast and they thought, okay, a lot of these are good ideas, but I don't know where to start or what to do. What does it look like when they come in to see you? Like, what are the key things you look for? How do you support them? What's your point of difference? Um, I think our point of difference is that we're not, we've taken a a business decision not to be just compliance accountants. So we're not just going to do your GST. We're not just going to do your end-of-year tax or your fringe benefit or your payroll. Yes, we'll do that. That's part of who we are and what we do. But we want a more hands-on and supportive approach to those business. So um, as I said before, I do a bit of business mentoring. If they need a bit of hand with that, happy to chat, work them through that. Um, So it depends on what the business owner is coming to us for. Um, You know, first question that I have two questions that I like to ask is firstly, why did you agree to meet with us today? Uh, um, because that'll tell you what they want yeah, yeah well, and, uh, and what brought them in the door. Mm. And secondly, um, my next question is, why are you leaving your last accountant? 
Mm. So those two questions, one will tell me what brought them in the door, what they liked about our firm that brought them in the door, and secondly, what they didn't like about their last accountant and what made them walk out the door. Yeah. So in those two questions, we should frame what relationship they want and what they want from that relationship between their clients and the accountant. And then we know what they want. Um, And we can work with them to try and provide that. Um, If somebody comes for us and all they want is compliance accounting, they're not going to want me ringing them up and saying, how's it going? Anything I can give you a hand with? uh, Any questions you've got? They're not going to want that. They're they're busy. They're Mm. at the coalface. Yeah. They're doing the job. Get off the phone. Uh, Go away and just do my tax when it comes. Whereas a business owner who's come to us because they want a bit more support from their accountant. Not, I'm not saying some accountants talk about hand-holding. I'm not talking about hand-holding because that's not what we do. Mm. Um, hand-holding means we're actually helping them run their business, Yeah. Um, which we don't do. Yeah. But we'll guide, we'll support, and we'll offer advice. Um, so that client would want me to ring up every so often and say, everything going well? Do you have any questions? Anything I can give you a hand with? Mm. Um, would you like a coffee and, and a chat and let's see how things are progressing for you? Um, for they sure. want that. Yeah, need it as well. So I don't know. You, need to, you need to qualify mm. at that first meeting what they want from there. What are the most common answers to those questions you get? Um, most common answers, why did they leave their last accountant, tends to be, um, they charge me for every second that I'm on the phone. Um, okay. They don't reply to my emails okay. or they've taken ages to get my accounts done. Um, it's not always the accountant's fault. Yeah, there are other <laughs> things that go into that. But that doesn't matter because the client's right. Mm-hmm. If the client feels that they've been neglected, then... The client is right. They've been neglected in their mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's up to the accountant to address that and point out this is what's happened and this is why it's happened. Or, and you've got to have that conversation with the for sure. Um, uh, most common when they come to see us, why did they come to see us? Um, is generally because we're seen as a more proactive, mm. higher profile firm, um, and they like that. Yeah. They like the fact that we're obviously not stuck in the mud, old school accountants. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, so so um, I, I, I saw a very funny thing a while ago. Um, one accounting firm did a big Facebook post of about five paragraphs explaining why they're not boring accountants. All oh, right. And yeah. in each of those five paragraphs, it was incredibly boring. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, whereas. Um, one funny picture might have yeah. proved that they're not boring accountants. True. Um, That's a, that'd be a tricky thing to navigate, eh? I mean, they're very numbers orientated, logical, but talking about your point of um, seeing where the market's going, where the problem is, it seems, I don't know, I'm not an accounting, but from what I'm looking from an outside perspective is the numbers are getting automated. To a certain degree, you still need to tailor it. Like you're saying with management accounts, each business mm. is unique but they're actually more in need of a business advisor as opposed to someone that just processes their tax. 
So mm. is that why you went that side or is it the fact that it allows you to be a business mentor, which is your competency because you're not an accountant, but you understand business? What, what made you go more in that direction of support and tailored service for their business? Um, we had a lot of clients coming in um, who we were doing the compliance work for. Uh, and in that compliance work, we were seeing things in the numbers and we pointed those things out. And they said, well, why haven't I heard this before? We thought, okay, this is what we need to do more work on for our clients. We need to help them out a bit more. This is what they're looking for. Mm. Um, as you say, zero MYOB, they're becoming more automated. Yeah, um, They're using artificial intelligence a lot more, and they will be in the future. Um, but it's still a case of GIGO, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Um, so artificial intelligence, you keep doing things wrong, artificial intelligence will learn to do it wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got to know what you're doing. Uh, you've, got to, you've got to train. You've got to, you've got to learn. Um, so we started going down the route of more client assistance rather than just client problem solving. Mm. Um, and their problem is they need their taxes done. Tax. Yeah. Um, we've done your tax. Um, just looking at your tax return, I'll highlight this and highlight this. You need to think about that. Go away and have a think about that mm. and dig into it. And then they'll say, well, can you help me with that? Mm. Absolutely we can. And we'd like to because we're accountants. We do numbers. Um, numbers can get a little bit tedious. <laughs> so... Um, it helps us to help them as well. Mm. We become more engaged with the client and we become more engaged with those numbers and then those numbers again start to get exciting because, hold on, your profit's increasing. This yeah. is fantastic. I always say to our clients, look, the more we can help you, the more your business will grow, the more work you'll have for us yeah. and the more money we'll make. Yeah. So it's a win-win. You grow your business, we help you grow your business, you use more of our services, we're both happy. Mm. Who, who's the loser? Yeah. There is no loser in that scenario. It makes sense. I mean, yeah, a lot of businesses fail, so why not solve a problem before it's a problem and help keep a healthy business? They're happy, you get the emotional investment in the numbers so it's not as boring. Murray said something interesting in the last podcast about um, you don't want to have an in-house accountant because all they're trying to do is protect their job. Is, would you agree with that, or would you say I'm not going to badmouth any of <laughs> uh, Smart, because the, they could work for you in the future. That, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, in, in-house accountants um, have a job to do. Yeah, and and they do that job. Um, it's up to management to keep an eye on that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very very uh, diplomatic. Yeah. Well played. Are you still looking for an accountant? No, we've got a new one starting on Monday. Uh, uh, well, we're recording this on a Friday, so that didn't help much. But uh, <laughs> so, in a couple of days, we've got a new accountant starting. Perfect. And if this is 2021, when everyone hears this, that was uh, Monday <laughs> after the Nana. No, no. It'll be in the yeah. next few weeks. This will come out. Yeah, we, we've we've got um, an accountant starting who is a, a, a different sort of accountant. They absolutely love tax. Oh. So they're uh, they, they're a um, they're. Uh, a qualified accountant, but they've also done a master's in taxation. Yeah, so that that's that's going to be they're going to be 
fantastic to work with. And in fact, um, we were talking to them the other day. They haven't started with us yet. We were talking to them the other day about a client who's got a, an interesting business which brings up a few tax questions that mm. you don't usually come across, so it requires a bit of research. And she said, oh, I'll do that. Excited. So wow. she, she's often researching that. And, uh, Jeez. So that she'll be a nice add to the to the business that's uh, that's the great thing about the world is people like her exist you know like yeah. they're passionate about something i would not want to do at all exactly perfect yeah is there a way like so one of the things before the podcast started you talked about it's a good good idea to educate yourself before meeting someone and their chosen competency you talked about financial planning that um before someone meets me they should actually do their own research mm-hmm. to see what the biases are um I was going somewhere with that, but <laughs> oh yeah, where can you learn about? Is there a way to learn a, like the basics or fundamentals of accounting, or a blog that's consistently sharing ideas on it, or on tax? Because I mean, I can read the law, but oh, it's rough. It's r- I'd rather someone write it in more motive language, and then I can learn from them. Is there ways you've learned, or is it networking, or where can people go to upskill? Um, firstly, stay off social media. Because on Facebook, everybody's a tax expert. Yeah, okay. Um, uh, everybody's an expert on everything. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, they're sitting at home with a keyboard in front of them so they can give you heaps of advice. So that guy uh, at the barbecue, basically, yeah, exactly. but on a keyboard. Um, you, can, you, can, you can go onto YouTube and say, how, how, do I, how do I fix my brakes? And then when you're flying down the motorway at 100k an hour and you're about to hit that pedal, you think, actually knew what he was talking about um and that's very much what social media is like it can give you some leads mm. but don't use it for advice okay um so you can ask it for lead you can go onto social media and say hey i'm a small business owner um i need to understand tax a little bit better has anybody got some good books that i should look at mm. um and then have a look at those books have a bit of research on the owner, on the writer of that book. Okay, this guy is a a PhD in tax. Okay, oh, okay. yep, he's going to know what he's talking about. So I'll I'll have a read of that. Okay. Um, anyone in particular that has a book? Oh, there, there's there's hundreds of them out there. Okay, but but hunt around, dependent on what you want to know about, um, uh, and make sure it's specific. So you're wanting information on New Zealand tax law. Yeah. You don't want to get a book written by an American. <laughs> I mean, it's like buying Windows for Dummies, which is great, but you own a Mac. <laughs> uh, that, that book's going to be great for everybody who – oh, apologies to the sound department for bashing a microphone. <laughs> uh, the, you know, that, that book is going to be great for everybody with a PC. Yeah. But it's going to be of limited value for a Mac user, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, so – Make sure the person that you're, that you're getting the information from and the writer of the book is relevant, mm. and and then have a look at it, have a, have a read. Um, okay. It, it, I'll, I'll, I was looking at buying a, a coffee machine a few years ago, mm. and I like to do things from a point of knowledge. So I thought I don't want to walk into a, a shop and say which coffee machine should I buy. Because I say this one 
is the most expensive one, and therefore you should have it because I'll make the most commission off it. Of course. Um, so I had a look, yep, down the road at the, the local school on a Saturday morning. They, somebody does a barista course. Mm. Runs a bar- so I went down and did a barista course. Did you? You should have made your own coffee. And so, absolutely. <laughs> and so, when I walk into the coffee shop and they say, "Oh, this machine does this, this machine," and you go, "Okay, but does it do this and does it do that?" Yeah. Uh, no. Okay, then which machine does? Yeah. Oh, actually, the cheaper one does that the best, but I didn't want to sell you that one. Yeah. You know, so you go from a position of knowledge. For sure. Um. So. You want to do your own tax or, or do a bit of your own tax, then go to it from a position of knowledge so you know what you're talking about. You're making decisions. For sure. That, I've actually um, found that with a lot of people that I've come across that have experienced bankruptcy in their business and things weren't too good where they actually um, outsourced in a competency they knew nothing about or they partnered with someone that had a, a really good skill set in accounting. They distrust them wholeheartedly. So, as you say, knowledge is power. Um, it's, it's a way to recognize, even though it's not your core competency, I think having your an understanding of every aspect of how your Absolutely. business runs. So, we're, we're just wrapping this up. Um, would there be any closing remarks, maybe how people should find you or one key point that you want people to take away from this? Or The link will be in the, the bio. Oh, okay, thank you. No worries. Uh, um, yeah, firstly... If we're talking about business in general, just be agile. Okay. Um, that would be my biggest recommendation to business owners. Don't get stuck in the in a rut. Don't keep going down the same line. Um, just because the way it's always been done doesn't mean it's the best way to do it. Fair. The market's changing. Your your ideal client is changing. Um, let, 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 let's say, for example, let's take... Um, COVID-19, who'd been using Zoom before COVID-19? Yeah, hardly anyone. Uh, hardly anybody was using it. Um, you, A client called you and said, hey, can we have a meeting? That, that And if you said, hey, save your traveling time, should we do it on Zoom? They'll think you're a bit of a weirdo. Yeah. Um, now, you say, hey, do you want to do it on Zoom? Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, it's great. Um, so it's awesome. That market's changed. mm over the course of a couple of months, that avatar has changed mindset. Um, so that's what I would say to business owners. Be agile and be aware of your market. For sure. I think that's the, I guess the silver lining with such a tragedy is that there was a mass market buy-in to, to servicing people in that way. So now instead of being locally restricted or is also dependent on a lease, a lot of people feel comfortable working from home. A lot of people uh, see the benefit in video calling. So now we can service clients nationally, and we actually we had a few Zoom new clients. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, you got to adapt with the times and agility. And if anyone's looking for agility in terms of their body, uh, we've got Jordan. Jordan Greville's not only doing podcasts, but now he's a personal trainer. So if you start seeing me um, shrink away, I've had a few comments on TikTok about the waistline. Uh, so yeah that, he'll be the reason why I feel your pain oh there you go worry. we'll get him on board what do you think everyone but on that note thanks for, thanks for coming and uh, as usual uh, added a lot of value and hopefully the listeners feel the same thank you no worries <laughs>